wanted to bring a diverse group of Mississippi millennials together who are doing amazing things in their own spaces, but also understand that in order for us to progress as a state, we have to pay attention, we have to be politically okay. But I discovered everything that I, I could do elsewhere, I can do here. Uh, and not only can I do it here, I can have a, a, a far greater impact right here in my own backyard. I don't care. I've been all over the country and there is really no place like Mississippi. Uh, from the coast to the delta, uh, you got three different type of grooves. <laughs> so much that I didn't know about Mississippi. So I didn't learn to fall in love with Mississippi until after I left. To, to have the type of conversations that people can be like, I, I, I trust Aisha, I trust Marcus, I trust Matthew, I trust Jasmine, and I can understand what they're saying. We we the round table. <laughs> we the round table. <laughs> I love that. Hello, my name is Aisha Carson, and I am just one of the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable podcast co-hosts. Super excited for episode three. Chuck Patterson, one of our other co-hosts, will be inviting CJ Lawrence to the roundtable to discuss all things Mississippi and also Black With No Chaser, a socially conscious media brand based right out of Mississippi. Super excited for that conversation. But first, we're going to start off by jumping right into some Mississippi hot political topics. So appreciative for everyone who is listening, both Mississippi millennials and the people who are abroad. Um, outside of Mississippi who have been tuning in or intergenerationally who have been tuning in just to hear um, our perspectives on the different things that are happening in Mississippi. And so thank you so much um, for tuning in. And I'm so glad to be back here with my other roundtable co-host uh, talking a little bit more about politics in Mississippi and some of the things that are currently going on. Our things for this episode uh, we want to talk more about criminal justice reform. Paloma gave us some great foundational information on our podcast last week about what's going on in criminal justice reform here in the state of Mississippi. Um, but Chuck will be inviting another guest to their roundtable. Uh, he'll talk about that a little bit later in the show that is going to um, talk a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper into the criminal justice reform in the state and what have some folks been already doing on the ground working to create progress in that field. So we're gonna get, get to that a little later, but I love to hear from everybody else. What were some of your favorite takeaways from the last episode? <laughs> um, I didn't I'd like the, our memories. Um, I like us talking about what we remember uh, growing up. I got a lot of feedback from the shout outs from uh, 97.7, not 97, 99 jams and 92.1. Uh, they, they brought back a lot of memories from what I, from what I saw in my comments. So that's what I loved about the last episode. That's what's up. Uh, I think we told the truth. I think we told a lot of the truth. I like the memories, but, uh, I would say that it's, it's a good thing that, uh, we're here and we're not afraid of ruffling a few feathers. So um, 
I like the the truth and and all of the the things that that were included in the last episode. Let's do more of that. <laughs> yeah, um, I really enjoyed the conversation with you and Paloma. Did I say her name right? Yes, you did. Okay, <laughs> okay, with Paloma. Um, it was cool. Well, it it was saddening, saddening. I don't know. I think I'm making it worse. Anyway, it it got me in my feelings. Um. Because being able to see and hear, well, hear about the things like up close and personal about what makes Mississippi's uh, criminal justice system messed up, like it was, it was nice to hear more about the things that we don't really know. I guess from people who are on the ground, like hearing about the poverty-based detention and people, and learning that people are basically in jail for being poor, um, and that we don't have uh, oversight for the for the DAs or. It's just a whole bunch of stuff that I could see how, like, we got to the point that we're at now. So, very informative. Yeah, well, well you know, I'm always here for uh, criminal justice conversations because I, I work on a lot of different criminal justice issues. Um, but also, I, I enjoyed the uh, the uh, the memories we shared. I think I spent probably the, the, the next week after we uh, after the last the last time we talked spent the next week thinking about and recollecting on different stuff from my childhood. Um, just from that, that conversation we had, it just kind of sparked that in me. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and, and of course the criminal justice conversation, uh, which is, which is always something that's needed here in Mississippi, especially since we, we just um, moved to number two in the nation um, after Louisiana for the highest incarceration rate. Um, in the nation, we were number three, um, but Oklahoma, um, they uh, reclassified some of their their, their uh, drug offenses um, and made it retroactive. So they let a lot of folks out of jail. So um, we end up moving up to number two. So that conversation was much needed. So uh, those were my two favorite things, the, the memories and the criminal justice talk. The memories was a highlight for me as well. I think a lot of people that I heard from, a lot of our memories resonated with them, of course. Um, but I also just think like it's it's good to set aside time to reflect on some of the positive things about growing up here and being here and the community and culture that comes with it. Um, and so I'm 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 glad that people are listening and, and also thinking about some of their favorite Mississippi memories too. So we also want to get into some of our hot topics for today. Um, a lot has been going on across the state of Mississippi and the nation. Um, we have our upcoming election. We have our ticket. Um, and we're about to be off to the races <laughs> until November, at least. <laughs> I'm definitely excited about uh, the upcoming 2020 ticket. Uh, Biden and Harris, I think they complete each other. Um, I think she gives him that it factor that he was missing. Uh, I, I think that she's going to be that bulldog because he stumbles over his words. And I think that the prosecute, uh, background, prosecutor background that she has is definitely going to tear in the Trump and Pence. Like, it's going to slice him like, like a, a hot knife through butter. I'm, I love it. I'm going to have my popcorn every time they debate. Yeah, I, I, I like that um, Kamala actually has, has the ability and the 
the bandwidth and the experience of going at people's necks. Um, so I, I, I do think strategically the Biden campaign made the, the right choice in that regard. The thing that I, I, I need them to stop doing, I don't want her to pander too much and Joe been pandering his ass off. I need them to, to just shoot straight, talk to people as your most original self, your most authentic self, whoever the hell you are. Talk to, to the folks that you are coming in the room with or coming in the Zoom with and, <laughs> and be real and, and stop skirting around the issues. So exactly. Uh, this, Stick talking, to the policy. Just, just go straight ahead. Go straight ahead at it. And if somebody asks you a question, answer the question. That's what I need them to, them to do. And I think I can I can be happy with it if they start doing more of that. Uh, I saw her, uh, Kamala uh, Harris. Um, she was talking to the bros, to the cues, and I felt like she was a she was pandering a bit because she was trying to spit see it through. I'm like, if your ass play it, then you should know it, and you ain't got to read it off a of paper. But I'm like, all right, if you don't know it, whoever your speechwriter uh, was, or if you wrote it yourself, you should have you should have did something that was that that seemed a bit more natural. Uh, and don't be spitting no cardinal principles if you don't know. It. You know, so if you're going in the room, go in the room as yourself as and say the things that you know. Um, and if you have past experience with the group of people that you're going in with. Speak on that that past experience that's truly authentic and that you're not gonna mess up. We can't afford to have them to to mess up. Uh, but that's that's where I am over the past day since the announcement. Um, and you know I'm still gonna be critical, uh, but I'm I'm damn sure gonna be pushing their ass to to make sure that they do us right and do right by the people that uh that they want to vote for them. And that, which you know that might be me. Just so happens to be me. <laughs> that look like me. No, I agree. Um, I like that you said specifically the word critical um, because I see, of course, like on, on social media, we see people talking about the, the different sides of, of or the way that it could go. But I hope that this doesn't turn into just a ploy to get black people to vote. Um, I hope that we can be critical and we can talk about the issues that we want to see change. Um, and I think... I think because she's a black woman, uh, the first thing like I think about is like her experiences of what or what she's going to have to deal with going in, into this um, campaign. But I just hope that it's something that really benefits black people, you know, and not just something to get black people to vote. Yeah, yeah um, I, I think it was a phenomenal pick. Uh, she and Stacey Abrams were my top two choices. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's long overdue uh, to have a, a black woman um, at the top of the ticket uh, from a major party. Um, and she has, um, if you just look at her record since she's been in the Senate, um, she has one of the most progressive voting records since she's been in the Senate. Um, so I, I think that's a plus on her. And I think because, you know, some folks have, have been critical of her and criticized her record as a prosecutor when she was in California. And so I think she can, you know, kind of, I guess, counteract some of those arguments and say, hey, well, look, look at my record over the past, you know, couple of years since I've been in the U.S. Senate. 
Um, also, you can look at, you know, what I was able to do as attorney general in California. When I went after some of the big banks that ripped off people uh, when, when we had that, that the, the previous recession or so. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a great pick, um, you know, like, like Jazz was saying, you know, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that it's not just public, but it's also substantive and that we see, you know, good policies come out of their administration um, that, that benefit black folks, but also other marginalized communities as well. Um, so, you know, I'm excited about it and, you know, I'm, I'm more excited for, for you know, uh, black women as a whole and what this moment means for black women who we know have been the backbone of the Democratic Party for so long and what this moment means to them. And, and you know, and that is it's just not another moment to pander, but it's a, a moment to get stuff done. So I'm excited about this. Right. Like Chuck said, we got to keep our foot on their neck. Like, I mean, even though uh, I think the thing that we um, missed with Obama's presidency is that we were too caught up in the symbolism and had no action behind it. And we can't, we can't do that again. That's why, that's how we got Trump. Uh, because we were so, we were lulled by the fact that we had a black president and that was just enough, not knowing that police were still killing us, not knowing that uh, we were still not having fair housing, not knowing that we were still getting mistreated black women, uh, being killed in uh, delivery rooms because the doctor's not giving them proper uh, medical procedures. So we can't let that happen again. And then with Kamala's past, um, see the guy said something on the Breakfast Club, and he says a lot. He said, this council culture would not let Malcolm Little turn into Malcolm X. And I think that we have to let people learn, um, learn, learn about the That's mistakes right. and learn to grow. Um, yeah. I'm a prime example. <laughs> me, yeah. me in my thirties would look at myself in my twenties, like <laughs> my twenty year old self and my thirty year old self. They night and day. So I mean, like <laughs> you got to let people grow and let people evolve. Like I don't know, but I'm for. I'm with them. And, 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 and I and I, say, you know, I say that too. You know, because everybody evolves, everybody grows. Um, and I and I think we we should respect everybody's you know willingness to grow and see that growth and not necessarily always run back to the past and say well you did this back then you did this ten years ago you did this twenty years ago you know and we're gonna write about it and and this is why we can't support uh -huh. you now you know and, and I think that's that's more devastating for people like black women where people tend to be more hypercritical uh, of, mm -hmm. of black folk and we give everybody else a pass for some of the dirt that they've done. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, because I mean, the, the presidential, the presidential nominee, you know, wasn't, you know, in, in the seventies and eighties, he was talking some of that segregationist talk, you know, as far as busing <laughs> exactly. policy is concerned. So, exactly. so, you know, it, it, it's almost like we, we choose people, sometimes people pick and choose who we want to be hypercritical with. Uh, and, 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 and people are always quick to pull out their sword when it comes to a, uh, something that a, that a black woman has done. And that was one of the things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way when Kamala was, uh, when she ran for president, it was like, you know, everybody and their mama had a think piece about what she did as a prosecutor. And I'm like, well, let's examine everybody's record. If we want to examine her record, let's examine everybody's record. Amy Klobuchar uh, actually put an innocent, put innocent black people 
uh, in prison, and she got further in the Democratic primary than Kamala did. Yeah. And nobody was exactly. right think pieces about what she did as a prosecutor when she was a prosecutor in Minnesota. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's, that's my only, my only thing is just like, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to, if we're going to be hypercritical, let's be hypercritical with everybody. That's, that's my only thing. Facts. I agree. Well, I had quite a bit to say, but I'm, I'm so happy that the black men that are on this podcast have done a really great job <laughs> of covering all of the things that I was going to say that were problematic. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm very happy about that, actually. Um, but I agree. Um, one of the things for me coming into this election that is so important, and I think Matthew said something about this on our very first episode. Accurate information is going to be the key to November. And that comes when we're talking about candidates and also when we talk about the actual voting process, because that's going to look different this year. But it's so important. A lot of the opinions that I see is not really about the fact that they're critical, because I like to see critical, because critical means engagement. Right. Critical means that you know that something that an election elected official did is, you know, doesn't align with your values and you want to criticize their choices. That is democracy. That's how it works. The criticism does not bother me. However, I think I know that everybody needs the same measuring stick. Um, everybody needs the same measuring stick. And like Matthew said, that doesn't always happen. But a lot of times, a lot of things that I've seen people say on social media, it's obvious that they have not read one piece of accurate information, that they're simply regurgitating things that they've seen on the internet. And yeah. when you do that, things lose context, right? Like I see memes where like, it's like Kamala arresting a, a little black child. And it's just like, guys, things, the, you are literally making the Republican uh, videos for them. You're making the campaign material for them. And I understand mm -hmm. your need to critique her as a political candidate. That's what we, we should be doing because that's what's going to get us to the policy solutions we need. But at the same time, like if you want to share a critique of a candidate, read a political article. Read a, uh, a breakdown of, uh, you can actually find a breakdown of her prosecutorial record in all of the, the uh, cases, that, the things that people say about her as a prosecutor. You can read a breakdown of it and decide for yourself, but when it seems as if people are regurgitating talking points about her being the ops and the cops and all of this, I think we're feeding into a culture that it has two different measuring sticks for gender within our community. And that is that um, black men and prosecutors, Eric Holder, him, like he also came from that same uh, trajectory. Nobody ever questioned Eric Holder's loyalty to the black community or whether or not he was for or against us, but his, their perception was completely different because he was a man. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, so I think we really, I think everybody, as you engage with commentary about this election, before you hit retweet, before you hit share, I just want you to do a little deep diving before you share your opinion. I'm not saying you shouldn't share your opinion. I'm not saying you should critique. I just want you to do a little bit more information gathering because it's not going to fare well for us to continue to sow seeds of disillusion prior to the election. 
it's too much in the balance for us to do that. If you want to offer critique that is going to push them further left, which I think both candidates could stand to be pushed further left, then I think that's great. Um, or be more progressive or to talk about issues that matter to us, um, then by all means. But we have to make sure we have a personal responsibility to share accurate information uh, because once Trump and his minions get to putting out bad information ahead of November, which we know is going to happen. We need to be able to distinguish Russian bots from just regular people on the internet. That's just being how people on the internet can be. And right now I don't think we're going to be able to tell the difference. Oh no. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. Cause I was going to say, you know, they've already been testing that whole message and that narrative about, you know, Oh Trump, you know I was the one who 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 gave y'all criminal justice reform. I'm the one who who led black folks out of uh, uh, prison with the first step act. You know I'm the one who did it. So they are already testing that messaging about Trump being a proponent of criminal justice reform, and 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 so now they'll be able to you know attack Kamala and say, hey, you know Trump was freeing black folks while Kamala was locking them up. Yeah. So they are they are already testing that messaging. Um, but I mean, if we're being if we're being honest about uh, prosecutors, this this whole concept of a progressive or reform minded prosecutor is relatively new. Uh, you know, when she was a DA, all of them operated pretty much the same way. It was you know we're gonna prosecute people. We want a high we want a high prosecutorial uh, uh, rate. We want to lock folk up for their crimes, give them harsh sentences, whatever the case may be. Um, and so th we're in a relatively new era. Where now we're saying, okay, we 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 need to we need to have less punitive sentencing. We need to have less punitive charging practices and so forth. You know, that's a relatively new era that we're in now. Um, and so, you know, I think she should be extended some of the same grace that 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 other folks have been extended when uh, you know, people that have that have done far more egregious stuff as prosecutors than she has. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's just that's just my my two cents. Um, you know, and, and I think also like like Asia was saying about the, the misinformation and disinformation that exists. I mean, some of the stuff about, you know, uh, about her prosecutorial record is erroneous, is not true. Um, some of it is, and she needs to be criticized for it and asked about it. And, and we need to be able to see, okay, have you evolved on this issue? What type of policies are you proposing now to kind of rectify some of the stuff that we see in the criminal justice system now? Uh, but, but I just hope that, that folks don't fall victim to the, the misinformation and the disinformation and also the, the attack that we're gonna see from Trump uh, about him being a proponent of criminal justice reform and Kamala being this anti-black nominee who, who was locking up a bunch of black folks. Uh, so because, because that's probably what we're gonna see from them. So that's just my two cents on it. Oh Great yeah, they're cents, already man. saying she ain't, they saying she ain't black yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna yeah. be some of the first messaging and and uh, commercials that we're gonna see because they want to lead early with that. Yep. So now let's bring it home to talk about some of the politics we've had going on in the state of Mississippi. Um, and this switches gears a little bit because this is the local Republican Party that has been fighting a little bit amongst each other here lately. Um, so there's an article in Mississippi today. Um, it'll be linked in our description box if you would like to read the article. It tells you more context. Um, but the article is about the Speaker of the House, 
and the lieutenant governor filing a lawsuit against the governor um, for how he spent the CARES funding or how he plans to spend the CARES funding. Um, very interesting piece. Uh, it's also very interesting that there are politicians within the same party who are suing each other for control of this money that we are getting from the federal government, that we are supposed to be getting from the federal government to help support the citizens of Mississippi. The politicians are fighting about where that money should go. Some of the interesting details in this piece are that there was a hospital in uh, Cenotopia that is uh, no longer open, that a part of the money, the CARES money, was actually earmarked for resources to actually be able to reopen that hospital. Well, the governor vetoed the money to go to the hospital, and it is a hospital that has been closed um, in recent years um, after the denial to expand Medicaid. So we have a hospital in Sunatopia, a rural I ain't got a clue, but I like it. That they were trying to open back <laughs> up I, in like, a crisis. I absolutely And the governor like vetoed those funds. The Republicans um, so that's a little backstory about how they got to the point a of, bit of, of dissension the in the ranks. Um, I but like I think that it that's never happens. It never happens. And they're I'm, always I'm, on the one. They have this they one accord front. Them, that they're always on there. one accord is the priority. Look, them, they, they, get, they, they fought, what do they call it, uh, in the police, rank and file. They fall in line. I'm absolutely loving it. I feel like we need to like see, all right, well, how did this happen? You know, what led to to uh, this so we can make it happen more a because <laughs> each other, the, and i'm not saying i i like the, the the debate and the discussion of things but i appreciate people being able to push back or having the opportunity to push back like if you think something ain't right then, then say something about it you know i, I got friends like that they're gonna always play devil's advocate but we don't see that in gop politics so i i like it uh now do i like them no. no, I don't give a damn about Taylor or uh, 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 whatever the mother uh, fellas, uh, Hoseman and the Speaker of the House, Mr. Gunn and all the other cats, okay. because, you know, most of the time they they're not on the, the, the side of decisions that benefit people that look like me. Uh, so but I, I appreciate them having this this healthy uh, banter and conversation and them disagreeing with each other, because I think it, it's going to benefit us in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it interesting that uh, you know, that that the governor is so disliked uh, <laughs> by Democrats, by folks in his own party. That you know, we we've seen probably I don't know when, but we've seen Republicans uh, reach across the aisle and say to their Democratic colleagues, "Hey, we you know, we need your help on this. All right, we need to make sure that the governor doesn't have control over these COVID nineteen funds. How these funds are spent, or." You know, we need you to help us uh, override this veto or to, to make sure that we change the state flag uh, because he's talking about it needs to go to the ballot. You know, so I think that's one of the things that, that I think that, 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 that I find interesting about this legislative session is, you know, we've seen a, a high level, whether or not it's, it's, it's authentic or not, we've seen a, a, a high level of, of bipartisanship because nobody likes the guy who was elected governor of the state of Mississippi. Um, and, and I just don't know, you know, a guy like him, he has such little political capital. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if that's a, if that's a good thing, if that's, if that's healthy for democratic processes in the state, for him to have such little political capital and for him to have such little influence, 
but you know it is what it is um and you know we we saw the first veto the other day they vetoed uh, uh, an education budget bill um uh, which was the, the first veto uh, in like 20 years uh and and you know it, it requires a two-thirds majority and vote both the house and the the senate uh and so that's the first veto we've seen in a while so i think it just shows you know this guy's in like and at this point you know i, I mean i don't know it, it, I don't know what, what else he can do. Uh, it's almost like, you know, it's, it's like he's just kind of like the figurehead at this point. Uh, and I also think that it kind of reveals that if if the governor doesn't have much influence among his own party, then Mississippi is technically a weak governor state. Yeah. Because if you're not liked by your own party members, I mean, what other, because I mean, Delbert Hoseman or Philip Gunn, they couldn't be, they, you know, folks might not like them, but you would never know because they still have a certain level of power as lieutenant governor, as speaker of the house, but with Tate, I mean, it's almost like, you know, if you're not well liked, then, you know, you had no influence, then you're in a weak position as governor. And it just kind of reveals that Mississippi is almost essentially a weak governor state. Um, so, you know, Tate is, uh, it, it's, 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 it's interesting. I, I mean, I'm just kind of enjoying it, kind of just sitting back watching how it unfolds um, and, you know, not really forming an opinion on much of it uh, until it's, it's over and, and we really know where these funds are going, how they're going to be spent uh, on, you know, and that type of thing. So you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of enjoying the Mississippi is normally in the media for, for bad stuff, but I think like them bickering amongst each other again, like it's just going to bring a lot of stuff to surface and they don't have like the loyalty that they all like have been banking on. I think, um, so I look forward to seeing how it plays out, honestly. Same. And I think so much of, of like Matthew, you said that like it's obvious that there's a lack of confidence in his leadership within the party. And I think all of these historic, these vetoes that we're seeing that we would never see otherwise when a bill has bipartisan support that he's vetoing strictly from an ego perspective to like show his power, which they, they, I think today, if not, they overrode the veto, if I'm not mistaken, or yesterday. So um, I think that's very interesting that you have a governor who is vetoing legislation that is obviously bipartisan. And I'm not going to say I know what his intentions are or that it's purely ego, but why else would you veto a budget for education i think he tweeted some things about this was his way of standing up for teachers but i've seen no like real information that leads me to believe that that's what he was doing you know challenge our listeners to pay attention to what's going on within republican leadership um and you know i know a lot of republicans have been reaching across the aisle to say hey we need help on this i just hope that when it's time for democrats to start reaching across the aisle next session on bills like equal pay pregnancy accommodations workers rights and all of these other things that republicans will also uh be open to pushing some of that legislation as well that's my hope in the best world imagine yeah, so look, man, I am uh, I'm excited about the 2020 season. Now, am I nervous? Absolutely. Uh, but I know that we've got some awesome people in Mississippi that are pushing their friends, pushing their neighbors, pushing their uh, even their enemies to uh, to do 
thinking in a different way to think differently that than they've had uh, than they have been over the years to uh, work with people that you haven't worked with over the years. Uh, and one of the people that I know that's been doing that uh, for quite some while now is CJ Lawrence. And we are happy to have CJ to join us at the round table. CJ? Mississippi and why he thinks it's important to build a socially conscious media company based right here in the hospitality, the Magnolia State, the SIP. So, CJ, what's up, man? What's happening? What's up, my boy? What's going on, Chuck's the dog? It's, it's good to be here, man. I'm loving what's going on with the Millennial Roundtable. I think it's a dope concept. We need more of it in Mississippi, and so I'm just Excited to be one of the, you know, first ones to get invited to the roundtable, doggy. Man, look, definitely, definitely. Uh, one of the things I wanted to to ask you about first, and I know, you know, we we have history. We we go back as far as uh, our freshman year at Tougaloo, and we the still nine nine two thousand. Yeah, <laughs> taking over for the nine nine and the two thousand. Yeah. Um, we still work together right now. But talk to me. You spent time away from Mississippi, as uh, as I did. Uh, let me know, like, what it means for you to still be here in Mississippi and striving towards progress for Black people. Oh man, that's a great opening question, man. You came out, you came out throwing haymakers, dog. Hey, look, man. <laughs> no, I mean, I, we talk about it all the time, like why we thanks. why we do the stuff that we do. So you know, let's let's just get to it. People want to know. Facts. And, and how about like somebody would be calling me like right as we are uh, getting ready to do this. But no, um, seriously, man. So you're absolutely right. So for undergrad, I went to Tougaloo College here in Jackson, Mississippi or Tougaloo, Mississippi, um, right off with Catalina Road. Uh, after that, I wound up going to Houston for, uh, for law school. And as you know, I live with I live with you for the first month and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of being out there, uh, slept on slept on your couch. Uh, so uh, went to Houston, got a tremendous experience at Thurgood Marshall School of Law for law school, uh, TSU. And um, after that, moved to Canada for a while to do consulting after law school um, in Toronto. So that was a dramatic change from Mississippi. Um, all three. Uh, Houston being the fourth largest city in the country and Toronto being the one of the largest cities uh, in North America, even larger than Houston. Uh, it was a bit of a culture shock. It was a substantial difference from Mississippi. Um, but uh, Mississippi never left my heart. Uh, and I've always been Mississippi to the heart. And so I knew that there was a lot of work to be done here. And then a lot of the tools that I gained and acquired while in Houston and in uh, Toronto could be things that I could bring back to the state 
and utilize and apply here to help us to begin to flourish. My belief has always been took that uh, in a lot of ways, Mississippi is the belly of the beast. You know what I mean? Like, and that's that's not necessarily um, me. I'm not being negative about Mississippi, but I'm just being honest about where I grew up. I know I know where I came from, and uh, I know um, Mississippi, the good, the bad, and the ugly of Mississippi. I believe that if you can thrive, survive, and rise in the belly of the beast, then you can teach people how to do it anywhere. Um, while the while the, the the layers that you may apply may apply differently from place to place, learning how to do it here makes it something that you can then take in the same way that you do with a business. Take, um, repeat, scale it, refine it, and scale it, and, and push it out elsewhere. And so that's my mindset for uh, liberation here in Mississippi and for rising here in the state. Yeah, I think some of the people that we look to as mentors have said, like, as as Mississippi goes, so goes the world. Right. Uh, and I, I think that's, you, know, you make a good point about it. Um, and it, it kind of leads me to my next question for you. Uh, why do you think it was important for um, Black with No Chaser to, to be based in Mississippi? Brother, um, in a lot of ways, we understand that uh, black culture in America is American culture in a lot of ways. Like from the from the dances, from the dances that we do to the to the to the uh, to what becomes popular culture. Black culture is popular culture, right? Uh, and Black Window Chaser is an outlet that focuses on current events, popular culture. We uh, speak in an unapologetic manner, but in the same way that Black culture is popular culture. Mississippi or Southern black culture is black culture as well. Um, that's not to, to take away from uh, everybody, everybody else's culture from the West Coast to the East Coast to the Midwest uh, and so on. But if you black, uh, then you got roots somewhere in the South. And those, those roots in some way, shape, form, or fashion are going to lead you to Mississippi. If you're in Chicago, we call it North Mississippi because... Um, we know that the Great Migration is, you know, a, a straight up shot from one way to the other. You know, um, Mississippi touches and concerns everything. It's a hub in a lot of ways. Um, and while it's often um, neglected or not given the credit that it deserves, man, everything from our music, everything from our music to our, uh, you know, just ultimately, our being uh, is rooted in Mississippi. So it made sense for us to uh, to do Black With No Chaser here um, in Mississippi, where, where we're from, and to begin to speak to issues that directly impact Mississippi, um, from healthcare to poverty to mass incarceration, and not just the negative things, but the positives too. Because I think it's a lot of dope ass things going on here in Mississippi, uh, especially in Jackson that we played uh, integral roles in, uh, even things like the first Mayor Lumumba's uh, campaign, which was a, a, a tremendous moment um, when you got uh, a black revolutionary person becoming the mayor of a city in Mississippi. When you are the person, when you are the people leading the protests, when you are the people leading the movement, movements, it's significant here. Um, 
while we, we we're following and walking in the footsteps of Mega Evers, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, Clyde Kennard, uh, and, and Hollis Watkins, so many tremendous uh, leaders, man. And so, uh, you know, it just it just made sense to, to be here to do the work because of the work uh, could be done here. Then it, it could be done anywhere. And I think it was important for it to be shown that Mississippi is capable of not only doing it, but doing it on a major level. And I think we, I think we are establishing that in a real way. I think people are shocked when they hear we're from here, from the South, yeah. from the Gulf Coast region. I, I really, uh, every time I look at a, at a label, you know, when, we sent out t-shirts. Mm-hmm. I wonder what people's reaction are when they, they see, you know, like this came from Mississippi. Uh, mm-hmm. So you, you, you talking about it like that made me think about, you know, the, the feeling that I get when I, I put the label on the bag and then it goes out. And then, you know, we get these pictures from people and, and them finding out that black no chaser is, is based in Mississippi. And then, you know, like we literally, have multiple locations inside right. the state, and you know, team members elsewhere too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. I think it's shocking to people to know that Mississippi really got that bop. Like we really got that bop. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not fake. It's not phony. Like a lot of people have a different mindset about Mississippi. One that is legitimized often, many times. You know, dating back to before pre Emmett Till and because of Emmett Till. A lot of people have a mindset about Mississippi uh, that Mississippi earned. Uh, however, when you come here, uh, a lot of people uh, have a new formed uh, perspective on all that Mississippi embodies as far as the state yeah. is concerned. And I think that, you know, Black No Chaser in many ways is an extension of that, uh, that disruptiveness that happens to you when you realize that Mississippi is, um, not quite what you thought it was. In some ways, it's exactly what you thought it was, but in a lot of ways, it's not what you what you what you thought it was, or what or, or, or what you thought it could be. Um, because when people hear the narratives of Mississippi, many times they hear the narratives of poverty, miseducation, uh, uh, lack of access, and those things are real. Uh, but our creativity is unmatched in many ways because of those very same things. Um, our determination. Um, in Miss in your Mississippi's and your Alabamas and you know your 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 southern regions are 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 unmatched for those exact same reasons. And I think that ingenuity has uh led to something like a black with no chaser, not even something like a black to a black with no chaser being able to uh, come into this space, uh this this digital space as well as in this this very real space and begin to make voices uh have a voice that leads us to being in a room with folks like Rock Nation, you know, yeah. so. So let me ask you this. So how do you think that narrative change in Mississippi is tied to political change in, in Mississippi? I think that's a, uh, I think that's a, that's an important question. Uh, I think that we have not arrived yet in the political space that we uh, need to be, but I think there's been a constant state of movement in the state of Mississippi. Um, when you go to everything from reconstruction here in Mississippi from, I think it's been phases of revolution here in Mississippi from freedom summer to uh, reconstruction 
to uh, Jim Crow, to Freedom Summer, to um, the Civil Rights Movement or the Black Liberation Movement, uh, both of which, the Black Power Movement, which was started here, uh, you know, to the movement that we are part of leading right now with the Mississippi Prison Reform Coalition, the Mississippi Bell Fund, both of which Black With No Chaser is a part of, to the digital revolution that we are helping to usher in. Um, I think those are important components to putting us in position uh, to continue to access political power here in the state. I think that uh, some of the things that we're seeing right now, I, are, are uh, opportunities for us to, uh, first, you just had Black Lives Matter here in Mississippi right. host the largest, um, some young people host the largest uh, gathering in the history of Mississippi as far as uh, a march was concerned, which is significant when you think about, again, this is where Mega Evers, Vernon Damer, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, so many yeah, came from. Yeah. Uh, when you think about those things, I would say that we are trending in the right direction as the as the country is trending as well. But I could definitely sense the hesitation still sometimes, and mm -hmm. some when it comes to Mississippi, uh, when it, especially when it comes to certain places in Mississippi, and when it comes to like we ain't we ain't, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we necessarily need to be, but we ain't necessarily we finna tie this shit up ready in Mississippi quite yet. Uh, some of us are. Some of us are, so let, let me not, but we, but we have not uh, been pushed to that point, I suppose, yet in some of the places. Mm. Uh, but I know that we about that life, though. I know we yeah. about that life, so, you know. So, let, let me, let me, let me throw this at you. Um, we, we, we got Black with No Chaser. Right. Big media company. It's, you know, becoming well-recognized and known. But you mentioned law school um, and you mentioned the things that we're doing with, uh, you know, Mississippi Prison Reform, the bail fund, uh, all of that. What are some things that stick out to you? Uh, like, wh what are your major takeaways that you've had or that, that come out in your mind as it relates or on the timeline of your fight for justice in Mississippi? I, I think that's a really good question, man. Um, so yeah, I've been, uh, I graduated from law school in 2007 and I started practicing. Uh, during that time, uh, I just began to discover that particularly in Mississippi, the system is not broken. The system is rigged. Um, and it was a very frustrating uh thing to begin to learn when you would walk in a courtroom as a bright-eyed, what you tell, 20-year-old, uh, ready to, ready to, you know, change the world, and you would literally walk into a courtroom and it would be 90% you, even though Mississippi is only 30, 35 to 40% you, right? It would be 90% Black people in every courtroom I walk into, whether it would be Ridgeland, Mississippi, Madison, Mississippi, Rankin County, uh, Jackson, which is, Jackson is, you know, a unique ex exception because it is one of the blackest cities in the entire country. So it would make sense that mostly black people would be in there. But Clinton, Mississippi, mostly black people in the courtroom. And, and so 
that was a frustrating thing about being an individual caseworker for me. Uh, yeah. Because I could only represent one person at a time. You know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. you know, multiple people would try to ask me to represent them after they saw me vigorously represent my client in court. They would try to stop me and talk to me that day and I would maybe pick up a, a client or two in that way. Uh, but it was it was a very... I won't say defeating, but it was a deflating feeling sometimes to see our brothers and sisters being marched in like cattle, only to be dealing with a system that kind of seems to operate in a manner that got away with it only because it was never called out and because everybody believed that that was just the way it was. Um, so the vibe that I got was, man, if we create something like a Black with No Chaser, something that can put a magnifying glass. Um, not only what's happening in Mississippi, what's happening throughout the country, we can begin to become a policymaker, a change maker, and a system in our own right, created, designed, and built to challenge the very system uh, which has incarcerated us in mass, which has killed us uh, extrajudicially without uh, without any um you know recompense or uh restitution occurring there uh or a reconciliation um and that has basically um you know stolen a lot of uh, our liberties from us how can i be more of a change agent um and i feel like this was a, a natural transition for me uh, because the court system here, man, is hell, man. Like, for real, like, the judges here, they, they do what they want. There's no uniformity. You'll see, you know, white men and women sometimes getting, uh, you know, for the same charges, probation. I've seen, I've seen a woman. This wasn't my client, um, but I saw a woman get 12 years for a bad chick in Madison County about two or three years ago. Black woman. What? 12 years for a bad chick. It's a nonviolent offense. Right. It's, you know, uh, it's certainly, you know, an uttering forgery, but at the same time, it's, it's not something where she's trying to kill somebody, um, take a life, and, you know, a lot of times, I would be inclined to wonder what it is that has led someone to doing this particular thing. And I think that there's so many other ways to remedy something like that than to throw them away for 12 years. And so. Yeah. And take them mm -hmm. away from their family for 12 years. Right. You know, uh, the system in and of itself Chuck, is, uh, is very corrupt. Even in the, I'm glad that you bring up families because it impacts families directly even beyond, uh, it preys on the families. Like it costs ninety and a hundred dollars a month or so, you know, to be able to talk to your loved one inside. You got to pay money to canteen, yeah. and so the prisons are are profiting off of the families as much as they are profiting uh, many times off of of those who are in, currently incarcerated. So it's it's a it's a it's a, a very diabolical scheme and so because they have a system in place it's important that we have a system in place too yeah yeah uh the thing that comes to mind for me uh is a phrase that 
that we heard a lot in our classes at Tugley. Um, and I, I, I know that it's referred to as the new Jim Crow, you know, I, mm -hmm. American uh, incarceration system. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the, the phrase that comes to mind for me is the peculiar institution. Uh, which is referred to as, as slavery and um and the way you just described it like our our incarceration or the system of incarceration in in this country is truly a peculiar institution because you're willing to throw people away and then ask their family to pay for them yes to be thrown away yes i mean it's it's bro it's it's like dog like it's crazy when you really think about it like the fact that a lot of these folks um mississippi being you know one of the poorest states uh in the nation i think we i think west virginia might only be like the only other state that is more economically derelict yeah than folks. but um you know we poke like we at the allen poke here and so to ask poor people many times to come up with funds to facilitate a prison system uh, to, to, to pay, to talk to your people, to pay to, uh, to, to just remain in contact with one another is, is, is nauseating, man. Like it, it kind of make you sick to your stomach when you really think about, you know, mamas, daddies that can't get in touch right. with their children uh, being, being preyed upon the Mississippi, prison system is predatory and in addition to being predatory it's uh is basically um one that is not for the purpose of rehabilitation um i'm you know i i've, I've never in in fact really seen uh, anyone come out of the mississippi they call it department of corrections I've never seen anyone come out of it corrected, man, to be honest with you. And I think that's only been magnified by the um, substantial numbers of deaths that we have seen throughout MDOC within the last year and a half, a story that we broke here in Mississippi nationally. Uh, you know, you've, you've, you got damn near 80 to 100 people that have died in this prison system within the last year. Uh, many without reason or explanation um, as a result of this prison system that they continuously say uh, no foul play has occurred. But I would, I would argue that the, the system in and of itself is foul play, a system that refuses to release people during COVID-19, nonviolent offenders particularly. Uh, during a time like this, people that has got two months left, three months left uh, to, to refuse to release them early or compassionately during a pandemic, in my opinion, uh, is foul play. So. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me ask you this. Um, when you mentioned, you know, us breaking, Black Men Notation breaking the, uh, the story on, um, you know, what was happening in Parchment, mm -hmm. uh, what do you find to be the biggest hurdle in, like, the fight with MDLC specifically, and then we'll, we can, we can go from there. Uh, <laughs> systemic oppression, white 
uh, the delusion of white supremacy. I find it to be the um, most. What do you mean by the delusion? Well, because I think that saying the word white supremacy is a is a is a misnomer. Uh, I think that when you say uh, white supremacist or white supremacy, that uh, you imply that one is supreme to everything else. And so I refer to it as the delusion of white supremacy because it's a, a false belief. Um, and so um, I try to preface it by saying that so that uh, there's a clear understanding and indication that that is certainly not what this is. Uh, it's 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 not a, a a reality. It's not a reality of, of white supremacy. Um, the issue in that is that uh, uh, you have people like um, your, your Tate Reeves and and so many others at the top right now uh, in those particular capacities that uh, are playing a political game with people's lives. Uh, for instance, we had House Bill 2123, which passed, um, excuse me, it was SB, I think, 2123, that passed in both the Senate and the House. Uh, it was a substantial, as far as Mississippi is concerned, criminal justice reform bill that would have reduced the Mississippi um, incarceration population. Could have instantly, not like today, but within months, reduced it by potentially 30 percent uh it would have uh given opportunities for you know re-entry um for folks on a substantial level um to the extent that within a few years mississippi's prison population could have been began to be reduced by approximately 40 percent mississippi is currently um either the number two or number one most incarcerated by pop by population or per capita uh state in the in the united states of america uh, it was oklahoma was up there with it but oklahoma just in, enacted some criminal justice reform uh laws that that definitely substantially reduced particularly with drug offenders their uh their incar incarcerated population uh, when you have Someone like a Tate Reeves, after you know, essentially this bi this this bipartisan bill passed in the House and the Senate, uh, you have the governor then to um, veto a bill that was passed in a partisan manner. Then you understand the, the how the delusion of white supremacy begins to work in in the sense that. Uh, it is a systemic oppression. Even when you get over one hur hurdle number one and hurdle number two, you still are uh, attempting to uh, get over a third hurdle. And that third hurdle can be in the form of dictatorship, uh, like literally dictatorship in the form of Tate Reeves. And so, uh, so that's that's a that's a bit much, man. And and you see it begin to uh, permeate throughout the hiring process. Tate Reeves has hired uh, a a dude who he hired for the Mississippi Department of Corrections, the dude who was over Angola prison, which is Mississippi's, which is Louisiana's version of parchment. Parchment mm -hmm. being the worst prison in uh, in Mississippi. Uh, so literally, 
he brought in somebody to continue to employ the type of uh, destitution and uh, abuse that men, and, men were experiencing at Parchment throughout the entire MDOC system, MDOC system at a time when uh, that was being challenged. And so uh, it's, a, it's a spitting in the face of progress in a lot of ways, man. Um, I would say that the delusion of white supremacy is resistance to progress. And that's what we've seen historically. Yeah, I, I'll agree with you on that. Uh, I think it's it's all about the the profit over people, um, mm -hmm. the decisions that that the the state executive uh -huh. leaders, uh, some of the 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 inaction from uh, our legislators. Like I, I appreciate the folks that that proposed the bill. I appreciate the support that it got, um, but it's like if we had been doing that stuff for the past or that type of thing 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, where would we be now? Now, mm -hmm. um, I like that, you know, there's this contention between uh, the governor and, uh, or basically the, the tension between the party in a sense, right? Yeah. Uh, but how in, in the world did Tate Reeves, if, if they can't agree on these things, then why, did, why, how did this person become governor? Like, if y'all agree on these things, how in the world did this person become governor? Why is he governor right now? Listen, man, and, that, and to be honest with you, that's 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 the delusion of white supremacy to be like it. Like it's it would rather just ensure that it has access to power than many times do the right thing. Uh, they they will. They, they will put a Tate Reeves in office to ensure that the other side, quote unquote, I'm, I'm, I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see, uh, the other side, <laughs> which in Mississippi to me is funny, uh, does not have access to that power just so that they can have it. Even if they're going to then veto him by 95%. I mean, then, then uh, you know, recall it by 95%. Um, to have 95% of people vote against your veto, I think is a a resounding uh, referendum on on how people feel about the way that you are, you know, uh, enforcing or executing the policies that have been presented before the people, you know? So I think that, uh, I think what we have, man, is, is, it's, I'm going to say it like this, man. And y'all can bleep it out if y'all want to. I don't know. It was Chris Rock, I think, that said, man, sometimes only, the only thing, the only thing, can, and I, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay, somebody's calling me at the same time. They said the only thing that a white man with a with a nickel, uh, oh, the only thing that a white man with a penny hate is a nigga with a nickel. And to be honest with you, dog, like I don't, I don't think it's any more true than right now. Like you got a state that is sick as a dog, right? The state on the whole is as sick as a dog. And instead of expanding Medicaid so that you have access to four billion dollars 
you cut it off because you don't want a black man's name attached to giving you $4 billion, even though it's going to bring 60,000 jobs to a state that needs fucking jobs. It's going to bring opportunities to and access to healthcare to rural regions that don't necessarily typically have access to those things. Uh, but instead of doing the right thing, you do the white thing and decide, oh, well, yeah, like, we're not going to, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that because we don't want yeah, that nigga. That's, that's his idea. Yeah, like it's his idea, and so we don't want it. So, what is the part like? Like, what is it about Obamacare that you don't like? Oh, it's the Obama part. <laughs> like that's the part you didn't like. And here you had, here you are, four years later, where you have someone like a Tate Reeves, you know, seeking the adoration of a a Trump on a on a national level and seeking the approval. Uh, desire to be his lapdog and you have a person who is saying oh well I'm going to ignore mass too I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to keep my I'm going to keep my state open longer too now we the sickest in the in the sickest country in the world we the sickest damn state in the world right as far as even corona is concerned and I don't know how we manage to do that I don't know how Mississippi always manages to in the worst shit figure out how to become first in that shit like i don't know how we do it every single time but it's it is crazy like it's like oh it's some bad shit happening today are we gonna win that shit like you know what i mean hey we finna get that like what are we finna win that like it's like like it's like it's a competition to to outbad somebody else at bad things and so um and like that's not coming from a place of hate. It's just coming from a place of honesty and observation with Mississippi. Sometimes um, we got to laugh to keep them crying. Yeah, you know what I mean? If somebody else talk about Mississippi, I whoop their ass. But yeah. it ain't, it ain't, you know, but it's, but the reality is we understand that um, there's some, some things that are going on here and some people that facilitate ensuring that it continues to go on here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it goes deeper or like there's a, there's a trickle down. Yeah. So yeah, we, we've got, you know, the, the Trumps and, and the Tates and then it goes even deeper into uh, our school systems. Yeah. Um, specifically like here, here down on the coast, you know, I'm, I'm in Harrison County and these dummies literally sat on their hands the whole summer and did not have any plan, did not consult with parents. Basically, the superintendent didn't even uh, consult with the school board. And you just say, we're going we gonna to do what we're going to do because that's how we eat, you know. Basically, that's, that's basically. I'm just going to do I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I'm going to do because that's just how I am. Man, so look, that, I, mean, I, I like the, the, the delusion of white supremacy. It, it's, it's accurate, man. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I never, I've never liked saying white supremacy. I, I don't yeah. find myself saying it at all, but yeah. the delusion of it, I think you, you, you make an important point with that. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's, it's, it's basically, yeah. I don't like saying it either. Like I'm not going to affirm that. Like they say it's power in the tongue. Like I'm not about to say those two words together without prefacing it by saying, I don't believe this, you know, uh, I don't believe this. And so I need to make it clear that when I, I'm referring to it. I'm referring to it in a in a manner in which you are able to understand. Um, I, I say white terrorism um, because 
that is what we have. It is, a, it is a terrorist act. You are, you are right. Yeah. It, you are right. It is a right. terrorist act for you to inflict um, the things that that black folks in Mississippi or the South or the mm-hmm. United States um, experience, and then for I mean for you to do it systemically, right, um, is a misuse and a misappropriation of what should be um, a a a uniform treatment to say, all right, we're going to do what's best for all the people. But instead, yes. you use this particular vehicle of government to do um, what's bad for this particular group of people. Right. Now, it's absolutely like systemic oppression in and of itself is violence. It's violence on every level. Underfunding schools is violence. Public schools, because particularly in states like Mississippi, the majority of black children are going to be attending these public schools. Um, Brown children are going to be attending these public schools. Poor children are going to be attending these public schools. So if you are black, brown, or or poor, you are um, suffering at the mercy of a state that would uh, uh, siphon funds from you or uh, keep access to funds from you. One, because they because maybe you have a black superintendent and they ain't trying to put that many dollars in a nigga hands, just to be real with you. Uh, uh, that they, if they can't control it, or if they are, have charter schools and they're willing to pull funds from your school and don't really care about how you ultimately, your students ultimately perform uh, because they're trying to privatize um, education. Um, these are ways in which a lot of these things uh, occur Chuck, they're using public tax dollars for the purpose of privatizing education. Um, so violence occurs in many ways. Uh, what we're seeing with COVID-19 across the country and black people and, and uh, uh, Latinx people being the main people suffering uh, at the brunt of a COVID-19, even though we uh, obviously make up 14 to 15% of the population, depending on what the census says. Um, that we are 40% of the deaths of COVID-19 is uh, a scary a scary indictment on the public healthcare system in America, uh, on the healthcare system in America, but also on how um, the act of not wearing a mask is a direct uh, defiance and act of violence, particularly against black and brown people, when you know that it's killing us uh, at a more alarming rate than others. And um, I think that even Trump's disregard of COVID-19 has a direct uh, correlation to the fact that it is not his constituents that are dying uh, as a result of something like that. So we're seeing we're seeing violence across the board, man. In yeah. that in that regard. Yeah. Well, look, man. I know that we can. Uh, me and you can go uh, all day. I mean, we we do talk oh, yeah. all day anyway. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you for for coming to the. Uh, <laughs> For coming to the round table, uh, you're definitely welcome back at, at any point that you want to join. Uh, and I, oh, for sure, I dog. appreciate your leadership with uh, Black Widow Chaser. I appreciate all the stuff that um, that I learned from you. I, uh, I appreciate your commitment to all the things that we're involved in, um, you know, from, from the rooter to the tooth. Doggy, I appreciate you as well, dog. Um, I, I appreciate your friendship. 
Uh, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here today um, with you. I'm glad that um, we have an opportunity to um, build out this dream of uh, Black with No Chaser together. It's really something that it seems like we've been working on since day one of knowing each other back in 99. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a, a, on the table amazing. Right, it's amazing to see the so many the many iterations of what has led to Black with No Chaser becoming what it's becoming, and to do it with your real friends, like the people that you know that you know got your back, that you know love you in good times and the bad times. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, man. Y'all make sure y'all go out and uh, support. I got it made. Us, um, come go get y'all one of them, them hands University shirts, which. Uh, Chuck and I designed uh, together, which is popping right now. And uh, yeah, man, I, I'm I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to to be able to call you my brother. And uh, you know, anytime you anytime uh, you'll have me on again, man, I'd be glad to be here. Well, there we go. We got C.J. Lawrence here at the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable, and we will be back soon with episode four. <laughs>